0: You are are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. business.
1: I would say that the first thing is like defining a valuable asset versus lifestyle business. So we had a $20 million business. A lot of people would say, well, that's not a lifestyle business, but it all depends on what you're doing with it. So the way that I would define lifestyle business, Josh, is that you're, you're taking as you're optimizing for annual income. So how much money can I pull out of this company every year through distributions, through perks, whatever it is, your wages, instead of saying, Hey, what's this thing worth? And if I reinvest that money, what is the company going to be worth long term? And so it's really that shift in mindset. And so going back to your question about revenue and like scale and scale. And I remember sitting, Josh sitting like, and I'm like the youngest guy for like, and mainly dudes owning copier companies. And like <laughs> right. we did 20 million, we did 40 million. And I'm like, how much did you make last year? That's kind of important because we're selling copiers at below cost. So sure. like I just one I I'm just like I'm just this idiot twenty two year old just asking why and I just kept getting bad answers man and I'm just like isn't it doesn't it matter how much we take home and what this thing's worth and like it's amazing so like just because you are optimizing your top line revenue it's about cash flow and there's if there's one takeaway man from anybody on the on the show right now is your company is based the value is based on how sustainable predictable and transferable that cash flow is. And then you at least have this baseline of what that value is. And then you got choices of who and well you want to sell it to at a strategic premium if you want to. But your company has a value tied to how sustainable and predictable and transferable your cash flow is, which isn't a direct correlation to revenue. Obviously, more revenue should hopefully yield more profits and more cash flow. Not always, man. And I came from an industry where that was not necessarily optimizing for cash flow.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, because um, obviously, if you're selling copiers below <laughs> what they're costing you, and you're paying salespeople and operations and lights and oh, oh, everything,
1: yeah. Well, and the, 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 like the, the business ended up turning into the razor, razor blade kind of model, which is get the gear out. And like a lot of our like one of the metrics we always used to uh, look at is machines in field because there was a kind of a, like, hey, if you get a bunch out. You know, the the recurring contracts are very profitable, man. And then you can stack on, manage IT services, document management, other things that should yield sure. more cash flow. But the goal is like, why are you doing that? Like, if you're going to sell below cost, hopefully there's a return down the road. It just kind of goes back to that shifting of the mindset of like, we want more cash flow to have a more valuable company. And that's
0: kind of similar, you know, even now too with the like ecom companies, you know, and they know, okay, you know, I can sell this. Product and you know, it can spend X in advertising, so we're going to go at a loss for six months or three months or whatever that Mm -hmm. number is uh, feasible to that business. And then, you know, and then at that point, we know based on the reoccurring model or additional um, lifetime value and things like that, that you know, we're actually going to make a profit, and that you kind of Mm -hmm. guys were doing that with the copiers.
1: Hundred percent, man, and like it, it, I think it's so interesting. I'll tell a story about this uh, this guy that was in one of my CEO peer groups, man. And like, so he's like, he sold essentially. Let's just make it up. He sold railings to the tops of buildings, and it's like, well, I just want to double my company. Everybody wants to double their company. I do, but he goes, <laughs> I want to go from five million, five million to ten million in revenue. Okay, so then I asked a couple questions. Do you have? Does your manufacturer? Do you have an exclusive with your manufacturer? He's like, no. Okay, can your manufacturer go direct? Yeah. I'm like you could double the revenue of your company and you know you could have more cash flow potentially but there's still that risk that the manufacturer goes no more Josh we're not going to have you sell our, our railings anymore and we're going to go direct company's gone like that. Mm. And so the risk of the cash flow is so important man like in and and it's I want to break down maybe a, a couple of concepts of how to think about that sure. because I think so many people get so tied up into fair market value, equity value, enterprise value, all these terms that fly all over the place. But right. how do you think about value? And before I go into this, there's this phrase that I want to like eradicate from people's word, from their vocabularies. I'll never know what my company's worth till I take it to market and someone writes me a check. And that's not true because we all know that private equity right now is on a rampage because they buy companies, they know what they're worth, they grow them, and they sell them for a profit, just like real estate. Sure. So like... You can know that, and so what you can know until you sell it is there's. I want to compare two topics. One is intrinsic financial value, which is the value of your company based on the risk of the cash flow. That's where an SBA loan will do do a deal off of that. They'll underwrite to it. You can do an internal buyout like that, an ESOP by selling to your employees. You can dig your heels in and prove it to a private equity firm just based on the cash flow. Then there, that that intrinsic value and financial value is compared to the strategic transaction value, where a buyer might come out. It was a strategic buyer and pay a premium, but it's going to be a premium on. It starts from a noble number. They don't just pull it out of thin air and say, "Okay, right. this is what I'm going to pay you." Like and they say, "I'm going. To, this is kind of what it's worth. This is worth what it's worth to us." And so they might pay a premium. Contrast that to someone what we call the transaction. That, Transaction value where there's a buyer and a seller that come to the table, and then there's the emotions, man. There's the people, there's the deal fatigue, and there's the deal hype, and so there's a premium or a discount. The discount might be like we work with a lot of family businesses where the parents don't need the money, so then they'll they'll discount it and gift it to the kids via an estate plan. But it start my point is they'll take the takeaway is you can track and measure the value of the business based on the risk of the cash flow, which is a knowable equation that you can focus on while you're growing the company. And
0: for that, you know, like there's like, um, you uh, like I've seen is, you know, your run rate. So, like, you know, if you people ask and, you know, the amount of cash you can sustain if you weren't bringing in any more sales and mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, is that kind of play into that? Is, and then what kind of is that, uh, number? Is it a three month number? Is it a 12 month number? 24 month? You know, what, what,
1: what does that look like? So it's a good entry point into the financials. And man, like, again, we started this, I was a copier salesperson. (laughs) So like, I was not a CPA. I was not a financial engineer. I was not a quant or any of that stuff off of billions. Like I was a copier salesperson. So I learned this out of figuring out that this is how the game is played like you know when you're talking about mergers and acquisitions and trading companies and private equity like they're focusing on value and value creation and then building value long term and so when you're thinking about like your run rate and like you know you're talking about how much cash is in your bank like there's a sure. there's a certain level of com that's a comfort level right so personally i don't know if you want six months of cash in your personal bank account or 12 months that's your call and that's part of your net worth right so like that, that cash will be on your balance sheet. But I want to talk about what's so interesting, man, is there are three financial statements. I didn't make any of this stuff up. So you got your income statement, your balance sheet, and your cash flow statement. And they're all tied together. And Josh, the amount of people that don't look at the cash flow statement is insane. Like sure. so many times people will be like, oh, that's for the bankers. The balance sheet's for the bankers and for leverage and figuring out how much I can borrow or the cash flow statement. I don't need to know that. However, there's this line on the cash flow statement that talks that that you can really hone in that tells the whole story of the business and it's the net cash flow provided by operating activities. How much money came into the business and came out and how much was left over. And then you figure out what you want to do with it. So like every private equity firm or professional investor will go right to that number on the cash flow statement and if you don't have them built, they're going to rebuild your three financial statements tied together to go, okay, Josh's company has net operating cash flow or cash flow provided by operating activities of a positive two million bucks. Then the question is, how sustainable, and predictable, and transferable is that cash flow? So I don't know if that directly answers your question of like, yeah, cash in the bank is one thing, but we're right. trying to figure out is the the cash at the end of every month growing or not.